So this morning, here's where we're going to go. Uh, we're going to look at a few different things uh, in the book of in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, uh, and we're going to look at a few different things. One, I'm going to call the myth, uh, the fact that myth enforces margin. Myth enforces margin and marginalization, and I'm going to unpack that. Second, uh, the margin that we are talking about, how Jesus goes to, uh, becomes the teacher. Becomes the teacher. And lastly, uh, and it teaches us about gratitude. And we all know and we've all seen and we've all heard that gratitude becomes a vehicle for salvation. And just keep in mind, when I talk about salvation and when I unpack what the scripture talks about salvation, I don't mean just this place that we go to after we die, though that has salvific implications. I'm talking about a salvation that the Bible often talks about, about the here and now, that gratitude changes our lives here and now. And so myth enforces margin, margin becomes the teacher. And gratitude becomes a vehicle for salvation. And our text is in chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. You can read along on the screen. You can hear these words. I'll just read them to you right now. It says this. Now, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, and as they went, they were cleansed. <clears throat> One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you've called us to go into the margins. And we thank you that you have embodied that and, and we can look to you as an example of that. And God, convict us for the ways that we need to be convicted and forgive us for the ways that we need to be forgiven today, this morning. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so Ashley uh, talked about our global partners this morning. Uh, and we have global partnerships with uh, a, a group in Costa Rica and Rwanda. Uh, and, and a few years ago, I had the privilege to lead this trip uh, or become one of the leaders to this trip in Rwanda. And, and I'll tell you what, to this very day, that trip to Rwanda uh, was a life-changing trip that will have an impact on my ministry forever, forever. Uh, and the, some of the things that we did there was we took care of, well, really, we didn't take care of anything. We went there to just observe and to watch and to learn and to walk alongside people that were already doing a wonderful work there, working with children, with villages, uh, with education and community development. And if you know anything about the history of Rwanda, it has a very dark history. There was a genocide in the early 90s, 1992. There was a genocide that lasted for about 100 days. And in 100 days, about 800,000 people, or over really, were killed. 
And it was in that backdrop where there's churches that really stepped up to make an impact for the community, for individuals, for families, for children that were left without mothers and fathers. And I will say this, this experience to just, just to witness how people are living and the gratitude they were living in and embodying was a testimony and a lesson for me, even as someone coming from the West. And we worked with this organization called World Relief, very reputable, incredible, uh, and just doing some incredible things on the ground in Rwanda and really in all, uh, wow, thank you. You know you've made it when someone brings you water, uh, but not really. Thank you very much. That wasn't very funny. Okay. Thank you for laughing. And so we were in Rwanda (coughs) with this organization called World Relief doing some incredible things. Uh, and I remember meeting with community leaders, with government leaders, uh, with church leaders and pastors that were well-known and just doing incredible work. But I'll tell you what, out of all of the people that I've met uh, and all the groups that we, work, we were working with, there was one person that stood out, one person I feel like I've learned so much from. And it wasn't anyone that we would deem as someone in the higher-ups or with the title or with a bunch of letters after their last name. It was our driver. We had a driver that would drive us around to different villages. And it was a privilege to, to be in his car just listening to his stories. It was a man who was quiet, who was behind the scenes, who didn't really talk much except for our stories in the car. <coughs> And he would share about his life, especially what happened in the early 1990s in the genocide. And I remember thinking, out of all the things that I've learned and all the things that I've taken in, the biggest thing I've learned was from this man who really people didn't pay attention to, where he was, again, in the backdrop, in the behind the scenes, uh, just driving us around. And I remember him telling us a story uh, that when he was a child, this is when the genocide happened. That in front of his very eyes, he saw his brother, his father, and sister get taken away. And I believe he was like a young child, maybe 10 or 11 or 12 at that time. And he saw this with his very own eyes. And I remember even within me, uh, I was starting to tear up and I was starting to get angry on his behalf. And his response was, in the midst of that, I choose to forgive. In the midst of that, I choose to love. Now, I've heard about radical forgiveness. I've read about it. It's in the Bible. I hear Sunday school teachers growing up telling me that I need to forgive people. I've read books about reconciliation and what it looks like to, to say I'm sorry, to seek forgiveness, to extend forgiveness. And yet, this is the first time in my life that I've ever seen this actually play out to this degree. That morning, when I talked to that driver, I learned something. Not just about his story, but I learned something about who God is and the power of God and the spirit and how spirit works within us to extend forgiveness. I saw it for the very first time. And the irony is oftentimes when we look at the story of Jesus, Jesus works through who and the people that we would deem as the unlikeliest of people. We see that in this story even today. 
The story in Luke embodies to the fullest that God works through people that society might deem on the margins. God works in the fullest with people that we push and oppress and, and to quiet and to silence and to push out into really quiet. <coughs> These are the people that God works through. And here in the story that we just read, you have to see what's going on. There's 10 lepers that come to Jesus. And says, Jesus, I need to be healed. I have this illness. Will you heal me? And Jesus says, yes. And you have to understand the things that these people were going through in their lives. Until we understand that, we won't know the the huge impact of this radical compassion and grace that Jesus extends. In the very first verse, it says, says this. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And he was going to the village, and ten of the people with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity on us. See, there's a couple things that we must not look past, and if we read it really quickly, we would. <coughs> There's a couple observations I would like to make here that Jesus was going through Samaria. Samaria is a land, it's a nation, that's a region in the, middle, in the ancient Near East that people would try to avoid, especially the Israelites. They would avoid it because they didn't want to come in contact with the Samaritans who were deemed as unclean or dirty or outcasts of society. And they would do so, so much that they would be willing to take the long route to avoid them. So if you look at the top is Galilee to the north. If you look to the south is Judea where Jerusalem is at. And many people traveling from Galilee to Jerusalem, which happened often in Jesus' day, they would actually go around Samaria the long route, and they'll have to travel weeks more because traveling weeks more would still be better than going through Samaria. That's how much Samaritans during this time were so outcasted and pushed out against the margins. All over the Bible, in the New Testament, even there's Samaritan woman goes to Jesus and says, what are you doing talking to me? Don't you know that you are not allowed to talk to me? Because there was a differentiation of power and status. And so people would travel all the way around just to avoid the Samaritans. So that's observation number one. Observation number two, not only... Not only does Jesus go through Samaria, but Jesus encounters 10 lepers. Now you have to understand something. Lepers weren't just around hanging out. Lepers were actually put into uh, special places in the wilderness because of the fear. So not only were they outcasted because they were Samaritans, but even Samaritans outcasted them because they were lepers. They were considered even more unclean. In fact, there was nothing more unclean uh, than being a leper. Well, the one thing that was be more unclean was being a dead body. And next to that would be to be a leper. And so all throughout the ancient Near East, if you had leprosy, you were deemed as completely unclean, completely on the margins. As a matter of fact, there's Jewish laws. Uh, It's in the Talmud. It says that if you have leprosy, you cannot be within four cubits around any Israelite. Uh, And four cubits, uh, one cubit equals about a foot and a half. 
You cannot be in this distance around any Israelites. As a matter of fact, if there's winds in the air, you cannot be within a hundred cubits of any Israelites because they thought leprosy was so contagious that the wind would blow it off one person and give it to another. They thought it was that contagious. And it was so contagious and so dirty, so they thought that if they were going to any other village outside of their leper colony, they would literally have to yell. It says this in Leviticus. They would literally have to yell, unclean, I am unclean, I am unclean, wherever they walked. So you can imagine how isolated these lepers would feel that they would, next to a dead body, that they were the most uncleanliest things and people around that society, was, that society would deem. And the worst part is they thought it was because of their sinful nature, because of bad behavior, something that they did wrong or their family did wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so uh, there was this double and triple sense of marginalization. Not only are you a Samaritan, but you are a leper and you are unclean and you are con- uh, contagious. I don't want to be around you because you're so contagious that the wind would even give it to me. So you need to live in this colony among other lepers where no one else is around. Can you imagine the incredible amount of shame and isolation and hatred? And even anger towards a people group. <clears throat> and the funny thing we see is that Jesus never had a problem encountering these lepers. Not only did Jesus encounter these lepers, but he touched them, hugged them, shook their hands, healed them. And yes, because Jesus is God and Jesus had power and Jesus is sovereign, but I wonder. I wonder if it's also <clears throat> because Jesus understood the truth about leprosy. I mean, I, I'm kind of reading in between the lines, but maybe Jesus actually understood uh, that the reality is leprosy wasn't as contagious as people thought. You couldn't just catch it by the wind or even by touch. As a matter of fact, we all now know that leprosy is very hard to catch from person to person. Maybe, they under, maybe Jesus understood that it wasn't necessarily because of sin, but it was a bacterial infection uh, that, that killed off these nerve ends. And so when people with leprosy uh, had deformities in their face and their limbs and their body, it wasn't because Jesus or it wasn't because God was, was killing them off limb by limb, but it was just because they couldn't feel any injuries that they may have felt or that they may have endured. <coughs> they didn't feel it. And so eventually, uh, bones and skin, it would rot, it would, it would fade away, and they would, again, look and be deemed as dirty. What if Jesus knew the reality and the truth about leprosy? And that all this isolation and fear and pain uh, and marginalizing of this people group was actually based on myth. It wasn't actually based on truth. They didn't know anything about leprosy. They, they were, it, everything that they understood was just hearsay, and it was just uh, from tribe to tribe. It was just oral, just passing along these stories when we all realized, and maybe even Jesus knew, that it, just, it wasn't true. And yet, based off these lies, this isolation, based off this, this, these myths, it perpetuated pushing these people out of a community of harsh judgment of creating fear. 
It was based off of misinformation. It was based off of myths. And it sounds ignorant. It sounds awful. It sounds unthinkable. <clears throat> Yet it happens today. In your life, in my life. There are individuals or groups that we judge not with information but, but, with, but with ignorance. Nowadays, it's usually based on what other people might post on social media. We come to a decision. We come to a judgment. Uh, we, maybe it's based off what, what a politician might say. Maybe uh, from a title of a news article that we actually never read. Maybe a, <coughs> a particular news station. Maybe it's us just blindly agreeing with people that we just actually like and enjoy. Whatever it is, oftentimes we make judgments upon people not based on reality and good information, but based off myth and ignorance. And so the question is, who are these people in our lives that we subtly or directly or indirectly have oppressed, have isolated have created fear amongst, or maybe even hate. And and I would argue that in this heated political climate, we see this even this whole entire week and last week, that uh, maybe this person that we may fear or isolate or, or push aside in the margin are the people that may have voted differently than you. Maybe it's people from different cultures. Maybe it's people from different religions. Maybe it's people that make different sexual choices. Maybe it's different income levels or gender. Or maybe it's the homeless. Maybe it's the immigrant. Maybe it's the refugee. Maybe it's the person of color. But based off of ignorance and people that we don't have relationship with, we come up with assumptions in our minds. And those assumptions oftentimes lead us to marginalize those people. We see this in the first century where based off myth, people with leprosy were put in this community, outcasted, where they had to yell, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine the shame and the guilt and the fear? And yet we look at that story and we say, oh my gosh, that is so awful. And yet we do that very thing this morning, today, towards who we would deem as the other. And let me make a little side note on this. Your level of participation, your level of participation in this marginalizing, in this oppressing, in this pushing out, in this isolating of others, your level of participation in that is not uh, become the measurement by, of your wrongdoing. Your level of participation does not become your measurement of wrongdoing. I want you guys to hear that loud and clear. Your level of participation does not become your measurement of wrongdoing. And here's what I mean. Just because you're silent, just because you blatantly don't call people names or become hostile towards the others, doesn't make you blameless. It doesn't. There's no such thing as neutrality. There's no such thing as neutrality. And silence always, silence always benefits the oppressor. It does. And so for many of us, we have to have an honest conversation with ourselves in the mirror and say, who are the people that we deem as the other? Who are the people that we directly or indirectly have marginalized, who, have, uh, who, who we have oppressed, who we deem with ignorance, 
as someone that perhaps might be second class or lesser human beings. And I know many of us in this room, we love people. And I know those aren't the words that we would exactly use for, to describe how we treat others. But I wonder if that still lies deep within our souls. Just this weekend, we saw, Maria and I, we saw this, <coughs> this play, the show in Taproot Theater called Kim's Convenience. Uh, and it's a TV show that I've watched uh, for a couple of years now because I think I resonate with this show a lot. It's about this Korean immigrant family that comes to uh, North America, to Canada, and opens up a convenience store, classic, uh, and, and, and talks about just this subtle issues of, of racism and immigration and uh, what it feels like to be in a different land. And what I was reminded <coughs> was even the racism amongst the Asian community, even the subtle racism amongst the Korean community to be more specific. And I can see that if you understand a little bit of the history, you can kind of see where that stems from, from, from being, especially Koreans, and they talk about this a lot in Kim's Convenience, and whether it's the show or this Broadway play or, or this play at Taproots. Uh, it talks about the history of Koreans where they've been colonized by Japan to being in internment in camps uh, here in the West Coast, uh, throughout, the, throughout the West Coast, uh, to burning down store, the Korean stores and communities during the, the L.A. riots in 92. If you're familiar with that, you can see. And, and so you can see where this, this built-up tension and racism might have been birthed from <clears throat> and Kim's Convenience, the show that we watched, was a, was a little bit of a reminder for me uh, of the subtle racism that even I grew up with because of the history of the colonization, because of the burning down of the communities during the riots, uh, because of all these things that have happened to the Korean community. I look back and say, man, what if there's things that I need to address? What if there's things that I have also been silent about? What if there's things that I have not acknowledged within myself? I've been easy to point my finger at other people saying, you're bad, you're racist, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're oppressed. What if the finger needs to be pointed at myself and watching the show is kind of a reminder that I need to do that? In fact, we all need to do that. Where are the areas in our lives that we have used myth and ignorance to marginalize? And I bet you, I bet you I'm not the only one in here that needs to be confronted with that question. And I love how Jesus works here. Jesus teaches us to get up close and personal. Jesus befriended. Jesus sat with. Jesus listened to. Jesus healed. Jesus walked alongside. Not just lepers, but tax collectors, prostitutes. People that anybody else would deem as outcasts of society. And I'll just say this. If myth enforces marginalizing, then listening enforces learning. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to do that? Because here's the beautiful part in all of this. Is that the lepers in the story or the people that we would deem on the margins become our teachers. They become our teachers. In Luke 17, it says this. <coughs> when he saw them, he said, Go. Show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. 
The lepers teach us something about faith here that I don't want us to miss. We understand the backdrop of people, uh, those with leprosy, they're put into this colony. They are shunned. They're put on the margin. Uh, they have to yell, I am unclean, I am unclean. They can't come within four cubits among other Israelites. <clears throat> you can see the, just the utter shame in these people. And yet Jesus says something so fascinating to these lepers. He says to all 10 of them, he says, you want to be healed? Okay, go to the priests. Well, that's fascinating because where are the priests? Well, they're not just walking around. They're certainly not in (coughs) Samaria. (coughs) The priests are in Jerusalem. The priests are in the temple where the Holy of Holies goes, where many of these people that are unclean aren't even welcome because they're pushed out of society. And what you see here is that Jesus is saying, I want you to go there. Now, easily, if you were them, you would say, Jesus, I'm not going there. I know what happens to to people like me when I go there. I know what's going to happen. I know what people are going to say. I know that people are going to whisper behind my back. I know people are going to perhaps even be violent towards me. I know people that are going to want me out. I know people that are want to kick me out. I know people that are going to reject me. Jesus, why would I go there to endure the, the, the shame that I already feel? Why would I go there? No thank you. Jesus, no thank you. I know that's what I would do. And yet, without a single hesitation, they say, okay. I'm going. I know, I mean, maybe I don't know for a fact, but I feel like in their mind, they're thinking about all the ways that they're going to be rejected because history has shown that that is what happened to people like them. And yet, without hesitation, these lepers say, you know what, Jesus? Okay, I'm going. Because even in the midst of my own doubt and my own fears, I know that, Jesus, you are up to something, so I'm going. And he says, on his way, on their way, all 10 were healed. It wasn't even the priests that did it. It was Jesus. What a lesson to learn from these people that we would never want to learn from. In a world driven by so much fear and insecurities, This is a lesson we all long to learn. I know I do. How many times have have we been hindered or stopped? How many regrets do we have due to fear from not going, from not moving, from not being obedient, from not listening? And again, these lepers that Jesus encountered had every reason to say, no, thank you. I'm not going. I know what happens I know what people will say. <clears throat> and yet they go. I love this quote. I, and, I, and I know I, I quote her all the time. Her name is Brene Brown. She has a Netflix special, actually, uh, that I thought was so incredible. And she says this, Nothing has transformed my life more than realizing that it's a waste of time to evaluate my worthiness by weighing the reaction of the people in the stands. This is a lesson that we learn from this group of people in the Bible 
where people have pushed out and marginalized, have oppressed, have kicked out of society. They had every reason to fear judgment. They had every reason to have insecurities. <clears throat> every reason to doubt. And yet, out of obedience and faithfulness, they went. They went to be faithful. And it changed their lives. And what you can see is through, the, through that obedience, <clears throat> All ten were healed. All ten of them. On their way, all ten of them were healed. And it says that they were made clean. And it's this Greek word, kathairo. Kathairo. And it's actually the word uh, where we get the word catheter from, whether that's good news or bad news. Uh, we get the word catheter because it means to empty out of uncleanliness and, and to purge. And so it says that all ten people were cathiro, they were, they were cleansed, and yet only one came back. They were all cleansed, they all had faith, they were all cleansed, and yet one came back, and Jesus says to that one person, you have been made well. That's the word so-so, to receive salvation. <clears throat> and so the irony is this, ten people with leprosy had faith, uh, they cried out to Jesus. Jesus healed them, made them clean, purged out their physical uh, uncleanliness and, and healed them. And yet, even though 10 people were clean, one person received salvation. There's a difference. And that one person received salvation through the act of gratitude. <clears throat> because we see that gratitude becomes the vehicle to salvation. Only one came back. Only one. But let's be honest. We can all relate to the nine, can't we? They all had faith. They all had a need for God. They all prayed. They all cried out. Because they were in need. And don't we do that, especially if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, when there's a time of need, that's when our faith perhaps increases. <clears throat> that's when we pray more. That's when we read the Bible more. That's when we listen to Christian music more. That's when we have perfect church attendance. That's when we you know, do all the right things and say all the right things. When we are in need of Jesus to do something, and when Jesus moves, we're radio silent. I know I do that. And this story serves as a reminder that we can be right with God. <clears throat> we can be right with God and still lack intimacy with God. We can be right with God, but we can still lack intimacy with God. Let's be careful to not think that these are interchangeable. And I love it says that today... Your faith has made you well. You will receive salvation. You will receive new life. To gratitude opens up our eyes. Gratitude brings us to a place of humility. Gratitude acknowledges our own brokenness that causes us to be sensitive to the needs of others. <clears throat> Are you wondering where your relationships have gone wrong? Ask yourself how many times you've said thank you. Ask yourself how many times you've said thank you. 
Jesus says, today you will receive new life. You will be made well. Gratitude changes everything. It's an antidote to entitlement, to greed, to selfishness. And it brings relationships around you with God, with your loved ones, with your spouse, with your children to a whole new level. Gratitude opens those gates. <coughs> and so we learn these things from the very people that society has pushed out. And so that's kind of bad news for a lot of us. As we close, I just want to end with a little bit of bad news. And the bad news is this, is that if you want to understand the beauty and the full picture of God, if you want intimacy with Christ, if you want to understand what transformation looks like, if you want to know how God created all of humanity, it can't happen in an echo chamber. It just can't. It can only happen when we reach out and encounter people that are different. It can only happen when we reach out to the margins. <clears throat> and I agree with this statement that God is often found. God is often found in the margin. So if you want to know God, if you want a better picture, a fuller and a, holer, uh, and a more holistic picture of God, we have to go to the margins. The very people that we despise, the very people that we deem as different, the very people that we judge, the very people that we have myths about or ignorance about and leads us to isolation from them, or the very people that possess the treasures of a glimpse of God that we are missing. And so if you want to avoid those people, you're welcome to avoid them. But the problem is then you will never, ever, ever, ever have a complete picture of who God is. It just can't happen. And so the bad news is we have to encounter. We have to befriend. We have to walk alongside the very people that we push out into the margins. Because there is where God is found. There is where lessons will be learned. The lesson of gratitude, the lesson of faith, the lesson of not caring what other people think, it's all there. Let's not miss out. <clears throat> and so as we enter into a time of reflection, I'm gonna invite the band back up and I just want to remind you right now that if you're being baptized or if you want to be baptized, will you just do me a favor? Will you go to my right, your left, and you'll meet with Ashley, and she'll get you set up. And I just want you to say this. <coughs> Even if you've never, if you didn't sign up to be baptized this morning, if this morning is your opportunity, don't miss it. Don't miss your chance. We have everything that you need, and it would be a privilege and an honor for me, for this community to see that. Will you join us? I plead with you. Will you join us this morning? Let me pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and for the lessons that we have learned. <clears throat> God, forgive us for our fear, for our ignorance for the myths that we believe that compels us and that has caused us to hurt other people. Would you forgive us for that? And may we embody your love, your kindness to others because in those others, we find you, your beauty and your truth. 
We thank you for the gift of baptism. <coughs> that through this act, we can identify with who you are. You died for us. You went into the ground. And on the third day, you resurrected, defeating sin and death. And baptism is a portrayal of that. We thank you that we can identify with you. We can be in solidarity with you. And we can proclaim our belief, our convictions, our love for who you are and what you've done on our behalf. We thank you for your life, death, and resurrection that causes and compels us to live differently. In your name we pray. Amen.